Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you with us on the podcast this week. Rob Croyle. Hello. Kyle is back with us again. That's me. Hello, guys. And Jennifer. Jennifer. Hello. You're here, too. I'm here. Oh, man. I'm going to now take my monitor headphones off because it sounds like we're all talking in a can and it's really bugging me. All right. Now we're good. Now we can continue. It was it was seriously strange. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what setting I tweaked, but it was that was messing with my head. Hmm. All right. So we'll count that as this week's shortcoming. Because <laughs> yes. there were none. Rob, I think you nailed a perfect sermon. Great job, Rob. Sweet. I mean, I was asleep for most of it. But other than that, it was perfect. I or maybe that's why it was perfect. Part of it. <laughs> no, you missed the worship. Not I the missed the worship. <laughs> <laughs> that's the shortcoming. Kyle was late to church. I was late to church. Okay. You know, sometimes you set an alarm and the alarm goes off at PM instead of AM. And so you're late to church, but you make it here on time ish for sermon. I, you I were on time it. for announcements. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah you walked in mid, mid announcements. Yeah. Because I, I got done with worship and I texted you because I was like, where's Kyle at? I was where 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 where's this young buck? Where's yeah. my fave? Where's he at? And then you were like, "We're on our way." I was about three minutes out. But it's you had woken up in time, and then you fell asleep again. Well, yes, I had woken up in time, made the conscious decision that I was going to prepare for church at nine fifty-two. I had woken up at nine thirty originally. And I said, "Okay, Perfect. I'm going to go back to sleep at nine fifty-two, be ready to leave the university by ten twelve. Just take a little cat nap. Just a little little cat nap, you know? And then it yeah, was all of a sudden I woke up and it was 1034. <laughs> so, you know. Classic. But you were here by 1050. I mean, that's not bad. That's making a oh, pretty good time. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty proud of it. Had the plan gone to the plan, it would have been a great plan. It would have been a great plan. Mm-hmm. The timing, timing says you would have been here. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It took a lot of self-control on my part not to say something. I mean, I I, I was wondering. I was wondering <laughs> if you would. I was pretty convinced you would. I was I was worried. Walking in, I was like, "Oh gosh, here we go. Don't make eye contact. Keep your head down." <laughs> well, and props to even coming cuz if I would have done that, I'd been like, "I'm live streaming it this week." I'd be like, "Ah, there's an internet stream. <laughs> I can tune in." Yep. <laughs> Uh, speaking of internet streams, I was streamed our service last week. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I listened to our service via the live stream because I was driving down to move Brandon and Lauren. Bye, guys. I miss you. Bye, uh, buddy. But, uh, yeah. Hope there you was, find your dad. There was a couple. Oh, perfect. Somebody needed to do it. There was a couple things that I noticed Kinda just the the you know the meme where the the dog is sitting and the room is on fire around him. Uh-huh. And he says it's fine, we're fine. Oh, you quoted that in the sermon. Actually, I did. Yeah. Was that before or after you threw popcorn everywhere? Well, I was. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the plan was to throw popcorn on the ground. The plan was not for the music stand to drop a foot as oh. I was pushing the popcorn mm. down. See. Or for the music stand to come up in my hands when I tried to lift it up again. It was a faulty when when she pushed stand. that sucker down, I'm thinking, why can you not pick? Why did you not picture this? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that thing was going down. 
I did not. <laughs> oh. And Jen hasn't even been lifting. I mean, I just figured it was because the floor was tilted that day. Because as I was looking at the live stream, somehow the camera had been tilted. And so the best part of this whole thing was when reviewing the play later, Rob mentioned it felt like walking uphill. And he turned to his right, his right, our left, and he proceeded to look like he was walking uphill because the camera was tilted, <laughs> which was purely unintentional, but the best thing that's probably ever happened. That is pretty amazing. At Mission Ridge. It was pretty great. Was <laughs> the pretty best great. thing that's ever happened at Mission Ridge is... Rob fake walking up a hill. That <laughs> we've I set mean. that bar real low so we can just roll over it, basically. <laughs> um, yes, right, we have. Let's see. We had popcorn eating that was coming through the microphones. Rob's heavy breathing drowning out Jen's sermoning. Wait, I turned my microphone off to eat the popcorn. Did, was that heard? No, okay. no. I think it, Rob Rob munching on some. Okay, came I was like, through. Um, no. You did turn yours off, but then you forgot to turn it back on at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's okay. It's okay. The past just, you know, is the past. I stumbled just, over a few words. It made me feel good because it was like, oh, look, they still need me. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I leave and the world burns down. It was very good for my narcissism. I just distinctly remember 30 days ago, Jennifer proudly exclaiming, I have had no shortcomings. I do remember we, that. We knew this was coming, though. <laughs> we all knew Jen was going to eat dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Perfect. Well, uh, now that we've had our fun and games, let's. Uh, we're actually going to cut to a interview that Rob, you and I did earlier today with Barbie Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, where she told us a little bit about the organization Jane Doe No More that she does work with. So we're going to cut to that now. All right. Well, we are joined by Barbie Jenkins, who is a speaker for the uh, organization uh, known as Jane Doe No More. Uh, If you want to elaborate on your role with them, go ahead and have you do that. Okay. Um, I am a Survivor Speak Outreach team member for Jane Doe No More. And Jane Doe No More is an organization that is for sexual assault survivors that um, empowers assault survivors to um, advance their healing, find their voice, and educate the public about sexual assault. Well, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. That is super cool. Um, So... That's that's is that is that all that Jane Doe does? Jane Doe no more. No, um, we do a lot. Um, so we go into public places like schools or um, police academies. Like I spoke at the police academy in Helena at the graduation. Okay. Um, we go into conferences. We um, community events, organizations, churches, um, and we educate people about sexual assault. And it's not just um, what it is, but how to deal with it and how to deal with somebody after they come to you and say that they've been assaulted and the right and wrong ways to deal with that. Perfect. Perfect. Um, now, obviously, as a, as a survivor speaker, you've got a, you've got a past and a story that got you into this right. and got you, is that how you became aware of Jane Doe No More? Yeah, actually it is. Um, 
uh, I was attacked five years ago in McCormick Park, and um, I found myself in a, a place of desperation, trying not to kill myself. And I ran across a quote on the internet, and it um, led me to Jane Donamore's website, and I saw that they had a private survivors Facebook group on Facebook called JDNM Survivors, and um, I asked to be a part of it, and I just kind of watched for a little while and realized it was a safe place, and that's where I started my healing journey. That's awesome. Um, so that's obviously Jane Doe No More has meant, uh, it's meant a decent amount as, as part of that healing journey. It's played a large role in that. It has played a huge role in it. Um, just being able to uh, communicate your story in an organized manner um, like I can tell my story now without breaking down, and that's because I do it all the time. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, uh, it takes an awful lot of courage to find sure. um, the strength to be able to tell your story. And so um, it's empowering. It's really empowering. And the survivors that are part of Jane Dona Moore are a very supportive, loving group of people. It's very non judgmental. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Barbie, how did just the act of telling your story play into the healing process for you? Um, So every time that a survivor is able to tell their story, um, it takes a little bit of the trauma and moves it from the, um, I'm going to butcher it, but the frontal cortex of your brain, and it moves it back. So it releases that trauma from... Um, the front portion of your brain to the back so like you're able to process things better and so being able to tell your story um, it basically what I tell people is it's like taking a giant monster and shrinking it down until it's to this little thing that you can literally put up on a shelf and yeah and live yeah. with it sounds like when you take a situation that you had no control over that you should have where your voice wasn't respected and, and uh, honored, when you take that situation and later you're able to process it with, with the right kinds of people and the right kind of setting, because you talk about safety on that website or through the Facebook page, through that community. Well, and um, Jane Dona Moore also um, has a, um, a program to teach people self-defense. Sure. It's called Escape Alive. We don't have it here in Montana yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, that said, I have taken self-defense lessons and sure. have been able to pass some of that on to the other girls that I have trained to be Survivor Speak team members here. But just that ability to share your story in a way that you are comfortable with and in a, in a way that you have control it it almost it's almost like an anti venom to to the event itself. It doesn't take everything away, but it starts the healing process. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, you can't ever fully heal from it, but you can certainly live with it. And um, it doesn't have to be the um, driving factor in your life. It can be an event that happened to you. It doesn't have to be who you are. And I think a lot of people think that they hear somebody as a rape survivor and they're like, oh, there's something wrong with that person. There's nothing wrong with that person. It's an event. Sure. Right. Yeah, there definitely is a stigma that gets attached a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Now you mentioned uh, the self-defense. It's not here in Montana yet. Right. So you're working on getting that here. What uh, what are what is your vision for Jane Doe more here in Montana? Um, I would like for more um, rape survivors to come forward in Montana, and um, it's such a big problem here in in our state. And so, um, because it is such a big problem, and I know what those numbers are like, um, we have about a million people in Montana, and we've got about a quarter of them that we know of that have been sexually assaulted um, wow. by the time that they're 18. And so I would like for more people to come forward so that they can um, get the same empowerment that I have. It's uh, it's so freeing to be able to speak about it to other people and um, and to help other people through their own traumas. Yeah, so it's, it's a big thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. What is that, uh, what does the process look like for, for growing that here? Well, um, so I actually went to Connecticut and I trained with Jane Doe No More um, there. And then I brought it back here. Now, um, this past August would have been my second training session here for new Survivor Speak team members. Last year we had it and um, a group of people came out from Connecticut and trained the girls here. So um, we sit down with them. It's very intense. We sit down with them and um, help them to be able to hone their story down to a basically a 10 to 15 minute presentation. Mm. And they can go into, um, say, a, a high school or whatever and give a whole presentation about um, sexual assault. And their story is really only about 10 minutes of the whole hour to an hour and a half presentation. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Cool. How big is your group here in Missoula now? Uh, well, there's six of us in Montana now. Six in the yeah. whole state. We would have had 12, except for COVID shut us down this year. So okay. I'm aiming for another training in uh, 2021, and hopefully we'll have even more people. So I have to cap each training at about six people because... Uh, it's really intense. So sure. if I can do more than one in a year, I would love to be able to do that. So, and I am trying to get um, the founders or the uh, copyright people to come from Connecticut that have Escape Alive and bring that program here. But if not, mm -hmm. then I'll work with another um, self-defense coordinator here in Montana to get that going. Great, great. So what other resources have you found locally that have helped you uh, on your journey? Well, originally, um, in the the heat of of the overwhelming trauma that I experienced, the YWCA was the first place that I went to. Um, they provided me with about twelve weeks of counseling free. Um, it wasn't enough for me because I was in a very very delicate position, and I searched. Um, and I heard about the program at the University of Montana. So the Student Assault Resource Center there, SARC, okay. I went there and I also got counseling from them. And then the um, Crime Victim Advocates program here in Missoula provided me with a professional counselor when those free um, resources ran out for me. So I, I actually had about a year and a half of counseling, pretty in-depth counseling, just to be able to deal with that. So, and you know, the county attorney's office was actually really fantastic to deal with. Good, good. Yeah. What's the safest way for someone to reach out to you where they're, where they feel safe? <clears throat> to me personally? Yeah. Oh, um, well, they can reach me. Um, I'll give you my cell phone number. 
Um, or they can email me. It's barb at janedonomore.org. Okay. And um, also on Facebook, um, they can go to the JDNM Survivors page and ask to uh, be a part of our survivors group. Like I said, it's 100% private. You cannot read people's posts on there unless you're a part of the group. And um, Survivor Speak team members even have another ultra-private group that's specifically for the Survivor Speak team members. And so it's been, been pretty good um, communication there. It sounds like there's more information through Jane Doe No More. Yeah, the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just okay. uh, Jane Doe No More dot org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll link that in the show notes along mm-hmm. with your email address so that people okay. can reach out to you. And you know, we uh, we have to have an avenue for healing. And my experience as a pastor is that the church has some answers to uh, has a lot of answers to a lot of questions, but there's some of these questions like how do you process through uh, sexual assault, and that takes training, that takes takes an expertise, and we really lean on on our community partners with that expertise. So I appreciate you coming in and sharing this information because we know that there are people listening today that that have um, they face sex, they yeah. face personally sexual assault or someone close to them, if not themselves. Right. Um, I think the most important thing that anybody can remember when they're dealing with somebody that's been raped or sexually assaulted, whether it's a little child or it's an adult and whether it's a female or a male, because it happens to all of us, is to not expect that person to heal at your rate. Um, everybody heals at their own rate and in their own way. And also, it's just really important that that person realizes that they're actually supported and believed. Like, you know, don't ask questions like, well, what were you wearing? Because that's a a blaming statement. Or why did you go down there? Or did you scream? Or did you kick? Or did you bite? Or, you know, those things that people automatically assume that that puts it on the rape survivor to protect themselves from somebody that's attacking them. And that's not fair. It should be, what did that person what's wrong with that person that they did that to you? So as long as the person knows that they're being supported, then their healing will advance a lot quicker. Cool. Good, good. Yeah, that's that's important information. That's important information. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, that was a really good interview. Uh, A lot of good information there. Like you said, Rob, we'll link all that information in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with Barbie or find out any more information about Jane Doe No More, check out the show notes. We got things linked there. So that'll be real good. Cool. (coughs) Nifty. All right. So this week we started our new series, which is going to test our uh, endurance. It's it's an 11-week series. Is it? Is it? 11 or is it 10? I, I was thinking 10, but now it's 11? It's 11. Oh, it's broken. There's, my. There's one week that was going to be between... That oh, that's right. Advent. We were going to have one odd, a one-off week in between the two. Yes. So no more one-off week. Oh, that means the last week I'm here, we finish the sermon series. Look at that. How, How did you do that math Because if head. Advent is the... I leave November 25th. Wow. Boom. Yeah. Well done. That's why he's my fave. Kid's quick. 
Yes, he is. Kids is quick. All right. <clears throat> so we are going to be doing this marathon of a series. This is at least as long as our Abraham series. Oh, at least. Yeah. Uh, maybe think. longer. Well, not quite as long. Well, because Genesis was ten, right? When you considered Genesis as a whole, Genesis oh, was oh, yeah. longer. Oh, Genesis yeah. was longer as a whole. But, but I think Abraham by itself was maybe it was ten weeks. Yeah. Okay. So, whew, we're gonna we're gonna be talking discipleship, and and that's the thing is like Genesis, we're taking a huge chunk, and we're talking about like all these passages, and we're like, how are we gonna fit it all in? But now we're just taking this one concept, discipleship, and we are going to dwell on this thing. We are going to contemplate. Ooh. And delight. A little throwback. Well, we'll see how delightful it is. Uh, But uh, we're going to contemplate discipleship hardcore for the next 10 weeks and see uh, see what God does with that. I think it'll be pretty cool. Jesus spent three years with his disciples on I think we could spend 11 weeks. Eh, maybe. We do have a short attention span, but come on. Goldfish have longer attention spans than humans now, so... Do they really? Mm-hmm. I read that study. That's unfortunate. That's yeah. amazing. I read part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff notes of it. Uh, I got bored midway through. I had to check out. <coughs> I'd go for a swim. Uh, all right, so this week on Footnotes here, we're going to talk about evangelism versus discipleship. You set up, uh, in the sermon you set up, this is the kind of the intro to what we're talking about in the series, giving a broad overview a little bit of the uh, the idea of discipleship and giving us an intro to it. Rob did a great job with that. But there's, uh, in a lot of our minds, uh, discipleship and evangelism maybe is a bit of a blurry line. Um, they can get a little fuzzy, a little hazy, not defined between the two. So let's let's flesh that out a little bit today. Well, evangelism, the idea of evangelism comes out of the word, the Greek word uh euangelion. And it's really it's, it's a transliteration of that word. And that is the word for good news. And okay. so as Jesus starts his ministry, we're told that he he goes around and he's telling them the good news. The euangelion. Yeah. Um, and this is Jesus isn't the first first uh, person on the scene to uh, use this term. This is actually a borrowed term. You, mm-hmm. I, you want to give us a little bit of history? <clears throat> Who on the spot? See if I remember this. I go. know we talked about this back in Advent. Uh, we've talked about this over Christmas because when Caesar Augustus, I know for sure, sent out uh, messengers when he took over, and he would send out messengers to proclaim the euangelion, the good news, right? That you've got this new ruler that's going to be the the new best thing since sliced cheese, or I don't know, something like that, huh? Since pockets and pants. Since pockets and since pockets and pants, absolutely. Uh, at least in guys' pants. Um, but uh, the new best, the best thing since pockets and pants. This new, this new ruler here for you, and he's going to be the best thing ever. And this is why you should be excited about it. And they would go out proclaiming throughout all the kingdom the euangelion, the good news of the new ruler. And right. so when Jesus hijacks this term, 
or or the gospels hijack this term to proclaim the good news of Jesus it's uh it's actually a little bit uh, uh what's the term I'm looking for subversive hmm. it's a little subversive yeah it's it's interesting so Al- Alexander the Great was the first king to do this but and you know they were spreading Greek culture as they were dominating. Yep. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The world, and then the Romans just adopted and perfected what the Greeks had started. Greek two point Greek two point So this term today is synonymous with sharing our faith, evangelism, evangelism. Yep. <clears throat> and the problem with a focus on evangelism is that's not what we were what we were called to. Mm-hmm. Quick pop quiz: first thing that hits your brain when you think of the term evangelism. Jen. Billy Graham, Kyle, and evangelical. Now I was pondering the difference between evangelism and evangelical. Ooh, mm-hmm. Rob, that's good. Uh, yeah, I'd go with uh, Billy Graham. Too. Okay, me's a street preacher. Hmm. Okay. Slash maybe the guy on the U of I campus that used to yell at people as they walked by. What's interesting <laughs> is the Billy Graham Association, they understood that evangelism wasn't the goal. They saw it as, as a fantastic tool, but not necessarily the goal. And so sure. when they came into Spokane, Jacob was about six. So they've been would have been around two thousand. And three, I'm guessing. Okay. Um, 2002, 2003. That's when Bible Man was still big. I'm going to be honest. I never saw Bible Man. Really? Nope. I had no idea it was a thing until after it was a thing. Yeah. I, I dodged that. Blame. I am learning a Bible Man right now. Okay. I will have to show you a YouTube. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> You're in for a treat. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, special. Let's just let's just say it that way. Uh, as a parent, you're watching this. You're like, <laughs> I'm glad you like it, son. <laughs> it's not like Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales is like, yeah, let's watch let's watch this movie. Veggie Tales is enjoyable. Yeah, I still like sitting down to watch Veggie Tales. Classic Veggie Tales. Not, not this new fandangled. You get off my lawn with that crap. <laughs> All right. So in the Madame Billy Graham Blueberry. Association, they were going to come in and they were going to do one of their revivals, one of their meetings. I, I don't know what they called it at that time. An event? Their event. It was, a, a, I believe, a weekend-long event. Okay. They spent a year working with the local churches and training up volunteers and training up Volunteers from all the various churches that were collaborating to bring this event to Spokane so that when people came to Christ through the event, that those folks would be invested in and discipled after the event. So what it sounds like, my mind, Evangelism is maybe an on-ramp. A precursor, if you will. Could be. Mm-hmm. Or a component. Component of, of, of discipleship. It's, it's maybe something that 
I, I, I like I like the idea of an on ramp in that it's a merging lane. This is a place where you can get into the flow of discipleship. This might be where your journey starts. Right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be. There's probably multiple on ramps. Um, I know there are. It could be care group is an on ramp, for example. Right. Um, there's people that have been uh, introduced to discipleship and introduced to Christ through care group. Um, it wouldn't be your traditional evangelism style, right? Correct. Um, but evangelism would be a valid and useful on ramp. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. To discipleship. What I grew up with, though, from the mid 90s, early 90s to the uh, early 2000s, is that evangelism was our mechanism. That's how we grow the faith. This is, we, we invite people to know about Jesus, and that was the end goal. Right. And I think that was really short sighted. Mm hmm. The other thing that I grew up with, and, and you know, I'll, I'll put out this disclaimer, maybe I just missed the boat, you know, in my youth, but uh, I mentioned this during the sermon, but I really feel like the discipleship of the, of the 90s was handing books to people. It's like, oh, anger problem, I got a book. Oh, you need to know how to pray, there's a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to stop smoking. There's a book, you know. To fix you. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to spend enough time with you to hand you a book. But I'm going to leave the discipleship up to the author. Mm-hmm. Right. And we had we had our favorite authors of that time. Favorite Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Dobson and... Oh. It's a good Band-Aid. Yeah, they're, you know, the whole slew of them. Um, But that was my growing up experience Mm -hmm. when I was Padawan's age. (laughs) (laughs) See, I... Go ahead. I am... I, I think it's pretty known here, but I'm a pretty new Christian, and I came into the church... Um, only knowing, like, intentional hands-on discipleship. That's how I came to the church. I was brought in being discipled. And so I have a very different experience than oh, yeah. Rob. Yeah. But, like, to me, what you're describing as evangelism was, like, the end goal. Like, evangelism, or at least some form of sharing the good news of Jesus, is what got me to to change my mind about church. And so it was it was a necessary precursor, an on-ramp, if you will. There needed to be a sharing to open my eyes, to invite me into an intentional discipleship relationship, to bring me into the church. And so I think, at least from my anecdotal experience, it seems as if the Christian community is at least starting to shift away from what your experience was. And of course, there's still plenty of churches that, you know, see evangelism as an end goal. It's not always a focus on intentional discipleship. But anecdotally speaking, I think a shift in the Christian church is arriving Mm -hmm. towards a more intentional, relational Christian experience. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. 
The the other thing that came along with the the focus on evangelism of the '90s and early 2000s is this dichotomy of he's an evangelist, I'm not, therefore I don't have a part to play. Sure. Yeah. Because there's you know. there's people that are just kind of wired that way. Right. Um, I know you've you've mentioned Jim Putnam before. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. Like that dude, he'd walk you across the street and have you have you converting before you got to the other side. I've met some other people. I'm, I'm, you know, there's there's a couple off the top of my head that I can think of that. Yep, yeah, no, that's a natural evangelist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily my natural bent. Um, I mean, I could go stand on a corner and hand out check tracks of, with the best of them, I guess, but that's not my natural. I'm I'm much more of the slow cooker. I'm going to spend a lot of time getting to know you and subtly over time, this is going to occur. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a false dichotomy Mm -hmm. because there aren't just two roles within the church. There's dozens or maybe more. uh, If you want to, if you want parcels out further, but there are plenty of roles and, and plenty of opportunities for people to, be used by God, and there's been times where, to where I spent years talking to somebody about Jesus, and then other times where I spent minutes or days in comparison. And we're going to talk about that in the series. Like, why is that? The scriptures actually bear that out for us. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that, yeah, there's going to be times where you have that conversation with someone and you're going to have to be okay with the fact that they're going to walk away. And that that doesn't mean that you're not a great salesperson because actually sales is not what we're into here. Um, Connecting people to Jesus is. is. Mm -hmm. It's different than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad there's a shift. Real life and a number of other churches are are really helping with that shift, and mm-hmm. grateful for that investment that they're making because you are part of a church that was invested in by the Post Falls Real Life, is my understanding. I believe it was directly from the Post Falls Real Life, but it may have been. It, it they're connected to that. They follow that the Post Falls philosophy. Yes. Let me ask you this: How long? How much time before? you started engaging with them had they started making that shift for themselves. Um, and Tim, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure it's a relatively recent shift. Like they're still actively shifting towards um, when I was a couple months before I was leaving to come up here. They had a, a conference where they were learning more and really investing in this philosophy. And so it's still a pretty recent shift for them. And I love that. Like there's already fruit from making that conscious decision to focus on discipleship. There's already fruit, and mm-hmm. that that's fantastic. Yup, can't beat that. Nope. Do you have something, Jen? Well, all this talk about evangelism and discipleship makes me think of the difference. Like, and maybe it started in the '90s with just that seeker-sensitive church mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was a really big Willow Creek model, and. Yeah. Like, just how, 
that was supposed to be a way to bring pre- people into the church and bring them into a place that felt safe. And really, it I think it weakened the church a lot because mm-hmm. there was no there wasn't that discipleship. It was like, bring them in, make them feel comfortable and make sure they're only here for an hour and go instead of like invest in them and build a relationship with them. And so Mm. as you were talking about evangelism and, and I wonder if that's just a misapplication of what Will Creek was, was doing. Maybe. You know, because, because I don't think Willow Creek's, model is to produce weak Christians. Like Right. I know that in they did a study about being a seeker sensitive church and like it had an external company come in and look at like who's actually coming and wanting the people that are like the least likely to come to church come through their doors and they kind of realized like that's not what was happening. And so I I think that was mm. in the early 2000s, and it caused them to shift the way they were doing it so okay. that they were no longer being that, like, okay, we're going to be seeker-sensitive, and, like, because they were sure. realizing their model wasn't yeah. working. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I have to do some more research on that. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I know with a lot of the mega churches, big, you get to a big, big church, and there's... There's the vertical aspect. It's the connection of you and God, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> um, and then there's the horizontal community aspect, which is much harder to do in a bigger church. Right. And you have to be very intentional about that. Here at Mission Ridge, like, we're tiny. Like, community's easy for us to do. Like, it's natural. It's It would be almost impossible for us to not do community to some level. Now, granted, we put a little emphasis on that, so we do it really well. Uh, let me just toot our own horn here. But, toot, toot. boom, right like that. Um, that was in the key of B, Rob. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> now I know. Only me and Rob got. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so we do community, you know, we, we do that pretty well at a small church. When you get to a larger sized church, you have to be intentional about continuing that which mm-hmm. is, that's the tension there of that vertical versus horizontal, um, maybe we'll call it worship, if you will. Right. Um, I know that's, I've read some worship books uh, about, uh, that have mentioned Willow Creek and some of the bigger ones like that. Um, Greg Rochelle's, what oh. is, I forget what his is called. Lifechurch.tv, is that something, it? Something like that. Um but anyway, so the the bigger the bigger bigger churches, um, and then you try to take the because they they definitely have an attracting like an attracting sort of feel, mm-hmm. you know, and they put on a, a fantastic production, um, and being seeker sensitive, they attract people in. But if you only copy that one aspect of it, and you don't have the back end of we're going to connect you and we're going to get you connected to this community aspect where the actual discipleship occurs then then you do end up with that really surface level mm-hmm. sort of um yeah i do know that that uh, willow creek provides some of the best training materials when it comes to leading small groups and coaching mm-hmm. small groups mm-hmm. yeah so and i don't know what the time frame was for 
the production of that material, but I just yeah. know that, that that is part of their focus. And, and I think it goes back to what you're saying here, Jen, kind of goes back to this idea of, well, are we going to be educational? Are we going to be attractional? Are we going to be admissional? Are we going to be organic? Yep. And if that becomes your singular focus, because that's your design, right? you know, as a, as a leader, it becomes out of balance. You're going to miss some of the painting because you're missing some of the colors. Yeah. And so if they're trying to be attractional by being seeker-sensitive, but they get out of balance with the, the overall mission, and and, mm-hmm. and instead of this being a, a leg of the table, this becomes the table, well, that becomes problematic. That's not a very sturdy table. Right. Yeah. Nope. Nope. That'll tip right over. That was such a fun sound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What key was that? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So in care groups this week, we're using two passages. One of them is Luke, and the other one is Matthew, and they're both covering the same story. Right. Uh, they're both covering the story where Jesus calls Peter. Uh amongst others, but specifically I'm just going to focus in on Peter because Peter's fun. Uh, so Jesus is calling Peter in these two stories. Uh, and there are some differences, and this is actually one of the care group questions. So if you haven't had your care group yet and you're listening to this, then we're going to give you the answers so that you can win at care group. Congratulations. Welcome to the winning team. <clears throat> if you're in the Monday night care group, then we already won because we automatically win because we're the Monday night care group. Because <laughs> you're being discipled by Logan. Obviously. <laughs> and not Rob. Oh, there my gosh. That was my favorite joke you've ever made. <laughs> <coughs> Wait, was that a joke? No. Uh. <laughs> it was not. Never been more serious. <sighs> Something. We should get him seriously checked out. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, Luke and Matthew, there's obvious differences. Um, Luke is a much longer passage. It like it's eleven verses versus two. two. <laughs> eleven <laughs> verses. Well, we could we could we could throw in verse twenty on the Matthew because that's you could the expand response. Matthew to like the end of that little subsection. Well, okay. Even e- even then, I, I would I would just say I would say like you, it, it's at least three to yeah eleven. Three to eleven. Oof, uh, Matthew. Just so quick and to the point here on this one. Not verbose. Concise. Not mincing words. Just getting down to business. You're going to keep making this joke where you continue to not be concise, where you're talking about Matthew being concise? Don't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) I just start tuning him out when he does that. It's like, keep going. Anyway, so (laughs) uh, obvious differences there. Rob, do you want to, do you got them pulled up? I do. Do you want to read the Luke passage? Yes. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, Put into the deep and let the and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Peter's knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also was James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Now, For now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Bueno. All right. Pretty good little story here in Luke. Mm-hmm. Now we compare that to Matthew. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, which is the same sea, two different ways of addressing that, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't have verse 20 pulled up. I think verse 20 is, and immediately they threw it on their nets and followed him. Yes. If I remember correctly. Something along those lines. It's real close to that. It's probably an NIV, so I don't know if that actually counts. But Yikes. At least not for Rob. (laughs) He'll let you know. At least it's not NLT. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I don't even care. Judge me. I'm not. I'm just poking fun. (laughs) Gene Peterson would be proud of you, but I am not. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you need some ice cream? I already had some today. Actually, did you I, really? Yeah. Oh. Actually, I love what Gene Peterson did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he did great stuff. And he's a Montana. So. He was? Yeah. That's so cool. Love with a flathead. I didn't know. Yeah. Famous uh, interview of Bono and Eugene that occurred right up there at his house. Yeah, the I love Bono. They were talking about the Psalms. It was a great interview. You should definitely look that up. Yes. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> There's a little extra. How did we even get on? I don't even know how we got there. But nonetheless, <laughs> we're comparing Luke and Matthew, these yes, two passages, are. these two stories, uh, told in two completely different fashions. And Rob, you had a theory on why that might be that they're presented in these different fashions. So first of all, uh, Luke obviously gives much more of a historical account, like he Mm-hmm. His focus is is a little different. Matthew seems to tell his account the way that First Kings nineteen talks about Elisha and Elisha, um, the mantle being passed, or or Elisha becoming the disciple of Elijah. Yep. And so you know he's walking by, and and, and he throws his jacket on him, and. And keeps going, and Elisha runs after him, and is like, mm-hmm. let me go say goodbye. And he's like, you know, what have I done? And mm-hmm. and so, you know, there's a, a couple of extra verses there about um, Elisha taking his 12 sets of oxen and setting them on fire and making a ginormous barbecue and... Man, it's making me hungry right about now. <laughs> and uh, you know, having a celebration with his with his family, and he basically uh, burns all bridges when it comes to how he would, in the past, uh, support himself, 
his vocation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus will actually talk about this, and we will we will address this in more mm-hmm. depth later. But these two stories just seem to be kind of written. The, the Matthew story seems to be written in such a way that you you get the same kind of picture of you know Jesus walking along, the casting nets. And he's like, "Let's go, boys!" And they're Boom, like, and it happens. And they're like, okay, which which I've heard pastors preach on this, and when Jesus calls you, boy, you better just jump and run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Problem is, is the Luke passage is a little different. Yeah, the historical account is that Peter hears him teach, like he's aware of his ministry. He's in his boat. He's teaching. He's hearing these words. Right. Like it's a bigger conversation, and and we don't know how much time Jesus was around these guys before the first invitation took place. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll defer to Kyle. Kyle, since this this is fresh for you, how much time from the very first time that you've heard a conversation about Jesus until you said yes? What was that time frame for you? Were you were honestly, seriously thinking about? Okay, think honestly thinking about it, I would say. I honestly started thinking probably September to October in and around there. And I would say I I said yes in February. Okay. So that's what, five months max? Max. That was five months. Yeah. Five or six. Mm-hmm. Five or six months. Your first invitation by your buddy uh, to 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 a church event yeah. was when? I believe in August. In August. Okay. okay. Yeah. And up to that point, describe your religious bent. I would consider myself a staunch atheist to the point of where I thought religion was nothing more than a coping device for people who couldn't handle the real world. Yeah. Boom. There's a little bit of heart change there. A little mm-hmm. bit. Staunch atheist. Like, you, you, you're giving us some thought. Yeah, because my grandma is religious. My mom and brother were religious. Um, you know, there was religious people around me. I'd been friends with my buddy who invited me for a few years, and he'd always been religious. He never, like, you know, up until this point, he hadn't invited me to anything, but he was openly religious. I had I had considered this, and I had made a stance. Mm. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that it's not immediate conversions of people mm-hmm. that they they encountered Jesus on day one, and 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 within that 24 hours, they're saying yes. I'm not saying that at all, but my experience tells me that. Kyle's story is more common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had more of more that reflect that. And so we should we need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, the uh, cliché moment in in movies where the person you know and those are they're like, not all like the scenes in like fireproof. <laughs> um <laughs> No, and that wasn't. That was what? That was months. I mean, that was that was a time frame too. That's fair. 
But you know, like so many of our movies, you know, how how quickly does love? Well, it's well, love if at first sight. It's a Hallmark right? movie. It's yeah. in the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> Absolutely, it's when they what's it's when they bend down and they accidentally bump noggins to pick up the same can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and then in our superhero movies, like it's twenty four hours. You know, in those mm-hmm. action packed. Oh yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's a solid twenty four hours and. Man, you're the best thing since sliced bread, and and I yep. gotta, oh yeah, I gotta throw down my life for you. Absolutely, you know, and um, so it's not just Christian movies that. What's that about a goldfish not having an attention span? <laughs> what? No. Mm-hmm. If you're still listening to this, you still you have a longer attention span than a goldfish. Keep running, Mike. Keep running, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Keep running, Mike. All right. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus teaches. They hear his words from the boat. Uh, he was known to be a teacher and a rabbi. Elisha and Elijah, I mean, the odds of them not... Knowing of each other? Knowing of each other. Very, very slim. Very mm-hmm. slim. Um, he tells them to put the, the boat out into the deep, which my understanding is not how you catch fish in that part of the world. Hmm. That's yeah. not how they would fish. Interesting. And for the rabbi to say, put your net in, they're like, keep your day job, preacher. <laughs> 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 also, when do they, do you guys know when they fish? Isn't it usually at night? It's at night. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, and now it's day. So their, their, their day, their work day has been done. Mm-hmm. And they're cleaning up, and Jesus is telling them to fish the wrong way, at the wrong time, wrong place, and, and yet they're wildly successful. I also and find it interesting that Jesus tells Peter to d- do not be afraid in the Luke passage. Mm-hmm. When someone, like throughout the scriptures, when an angel shows up, mm-hmm. you know, we usually hear those words out of an angel's mouth. Sure. And I find that just really fascinating mm-hmm. that that Jesus has to say that. So, um, yeah, interesting compare and contrast between these two stories. I think they tell, by looking at them and understanding even what the intent is by the author in each helps us to have a better picture of why the story is being shared in that way. Absolutely. Good stuff. Cool. Well, <clears throat> this has been a delight. Mm-hmm. And we will be back at it again next week, talking about more discipleship. Woot, woot. Yeah, we will. Heck yeah. Yeah. Talking a little uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm-hmm. Ooh. This week, if I remember correctly. There you go. Yes, you do. All right. See you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more Footnotes. Footnotes.